So as we've been working our way through, one of the things that we've said each week is that it was about eight to 10 years earlier that Paul the Apostle had come to this very, very Greek town of Corinth and uh, began the church that we would call Corinth or the Corinthian church. When he arrives, this church or this town is very, very pagan, is very, very prosperous, has more of a anything goes kind of mentality. So it's nothing like the very religious conservative Jerusalem. This is very, very pagan and very, very Greek. So when he arrives, he begins a Bible study and it starts off with a few Jewish believers and then finally or ultimately uh, a number of Gentiles come in. The church continues to grow. And then it says there on your outline, it says he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And so after 18 months or so, Paul heads off, continues his missionary journey and a few years go by. And as time is going by, they they realize within the church that things aren't the same. So the the leadership gathers together and they write down a list of questions and they send a delegation off to find Paul. They, they, They find Paul, they give him the list of questions. And so Paul hears what's going on in the church and sees their list of questions. You know, are we doing this right? Should we, should we do this different? And Paul begins to write back. He takes the first six chapters to deal with issues that he's heard about going on within the church. But then in chapter 7, he begins to answer their questions. There in your outline, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Now for the matters you wrote about. And so Paul begins to answer their questions. Chapter 7 was all about marriage and divorce and singleness and things of that nature. So we talked about that. But when we came to chapter 8, there in your outline, it says, Now about food sacrificed to idols. And in chapter 8, Paul begins to answer that question, but that's a section that goes from chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10. So we'll be wrapping that up today. The bigger question was, how do you live in this city and still continue to represent God? How, how do you be a good missionary in this community, in this culture? And when do you know if you're crossing the line? Is what I'm doing appropriate or have I crossed the line somewhere? I want to reach my culture. I don't want to be absorbed by my culture. So in that town and in that culture, the big issue for the believer was eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So if you've been part of our Bible study, one of the things that we've highlighted along the way that in Corinth, the main god was the god of, or the temple was of the goddess Aphrodite. She was the the goddess of love and sex. And uh, part of the way that she was worshipped is that she had a thousand temple prostitutes who every night would go out into the community, they would sell themselves and bring the proceeds back to the temple. So that was one thing that was going on at the temple. But on the other hand, in that time, people would bring their sacrifices to the temple, and those sacrifices would be animals. And because it was your God, you'd have to bring the very, very best. So they would bring their sacrifice to the temple, and uh, the priest would take that. Part of that would be sacrificed on the altar. Part of that would be given to the priest, and they would eat that. And the other part of that would be sold in the restaurant that was attached to Aphrodite's, to Aphrodite's uh, temple. And whatever was left over after that would then be taken out to the local butcher shops. They would sell that at a discounted rate to the butchers, and the butchers would then sell it at a, at a cheaper rate. And so that, that's, uh, the big question was, could you eat this meat that had been sacrificed to an idol? And you'll remember as this section began back in chapter 8, Paul said this, 
Paul said there in your outline in chapter 8, verse 4, he said, so then about eating food that's sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. And if you're part of that, that study, Paul said, it's just meat. It's just meat. Don't worry about it. Just, just eat it. So that led to uh, another question, which was, um, if, if it's just meat, then can I go eat it at the restaurant that's attached to Aphrodite's temple? You know, the, the food is cheaper there, and um, I get to share with my unbelieving friends as I go there and sit down, and uh, keep in mind that there's a thousand temple prostitutes running around at this steakhouse. Friends, this is Rachel's Steakhouse. <laughs> now, if you don't know what Rachel's Steakhouse is, good for you. <laughs> good for you. Ask. Yeah, we're going to move on. So... Um, <laughs> So would it be wrong to eat a steak from there? Paul would say, no, it's just meat. Don't worry about that. Or would it be wrong to go there and, and have the steak? You know, it's, it's less expensive than, say, Ruth Chris. So, you know, that's good stewardship, you know, so would, would it be wrong to do that? Well, that's another conversation. So we're going to pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 10. Now, some of your Bibles where it says verse 14, the 14 is going to be bold. How many of you, you have verse 14 and it's bold? Good. That lets you know that in your Bible that, that it's, it's, it's beginning a new section. Even though it's part of a larger section, this is kind of like the, the last section of the bigger section. So in this, he says, he begins by saying, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So you want to write down the first thing Paul says before we get into any of this is flee idolatry, and that's participating in worship of another God. And and certainly much broader than that, but I will just say that for right now. Then verse 15, he says, now I speak as to wise men, but you judge what I say. So Paul's going to make some comments, and the idea, he's going to say, I'm just going to give you some wisdom. I'm not trying to be legalistic, but you think it through, and uh, let's, let's operate in some wisdom. So write this down, verse 15, the issue is not legalism, but wisdom. And then we come to verse 16, as Paul says, let's look at it like this. And I've put verses 16 and 17 on your outline from the King James Version, because it, it brings something out that, that uh, I, I think is helpful. So I'm going to read from our outline, and it says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, I've underlined the word communion, of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Then it says in verse 17, for we, and I've underlined that, being many are one. I've underlined that. One bread and one body. I've underlined that. For we are all partakers of that one bread. So Paul says, as I begin to talk about this, I want to use communion as the example. Now, when we say communion, and that's the word there in that passage, there in your outline, the the word there in the original language, you've probably heard of it as koinia. And that just means fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, contact. We we would say oneness. It means to, to become one together. Communion is an act of worship. When we come together, and we celebrate communion, that's an act of worship. In verse 17, there on your outline, he says, for we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And so when they shared in communion, what they would do is they would have one large piece of bread. Now, certainly didn't mean it was just one for everybody, but there might be a large piece of bread over here and a large piece of bread over here, and they would take that, and they would all take a piece of that one bread. 
So all taking from the one and then partaking, that would be their way of saying we're one with this bread. The idea is we're one with Christ, but now we're all one with each other because we're all taking from the same thing. So that is a, an, an act of, of worship. So Paul is saying that when you and I take communion, and you want you to, I want you to write this down, that participation in the ceremony is worship. Participation in the ceremony is worship. In verse 18, he goes on, he says, even back at the temple, verse 18 says, look at the nation of Israel. Are not all those who eat at the sacrifice, all who eat the sacrifices, sharers in the altar? So even back in the Old Testament temple, when they would bring the sacrifices in, when they would eat that, they would all share that, and that would be part of their, their worship experience also. So when we share in communion, it's, it's worship. Now, when we come together, we, we take the bread and they pass the plate, and uh, that's worship. And just to let you know, we use the Streitz Matzos Lightly Salted. And so when we come here and we share together and you take that, when we do that here, that's worship. But after the service, you know, you're hungry and you're walking out and you see that there's a half box of matzahs here and that you grab the box and you're driving home and you start munching on the matzahs. Well, there it's just matzah. Here it's worship. There it's just bread. Does that make sense? And so the issue isn't so much the bread, it's where are we, we sharing this? What makes this special isn't that it's special bread, what makes it special is that we share it together as a symbol of the body of Christ. Make sense? Okay. So, verse 19, he says, now what do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be sharers. You want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons, the table of demons. So um, what he would say there is, uh, the, you know, if the non-believer... By the way, let me just make one other small thing. Paul believed in demons. Did you notice that? He says, you're sharing in the table of demons. Paul believed them to be very, very real entities. Hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about that sometime. But let's say when, when um, if a non-believer were to come here today and we pass out the elements, we have the bread and we have the cup and we spend a moment with the Lord and we say, take and eat, take and drink. And the, the non-believer does that, then we would look on at that non-believer and we would say, you know, you're, you're making a statement here when you do that. And you're really saying you're one of us. I mean, what we would conclude by you doing that is that you're one of us. We would think that you're a believer. Paul says the very same thing when you go to a place, a temple, and you participate there in that worship and you're eating there, they're going to look at you and they're going to very naturally conclude, you're one of us. You're one of us. So I want you to write this down. It's not the meat, but the meeting, the meeting place. Not the meat, but the meeting place, where it's taking place. And Paul says, I'm not trying to be legalistic about this, but I just want you to use some wisdom. So verse 22 He says, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than he, are we? Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than he, are we? So God looks down, and it's interesting he uses the term jealousy, but God looks down and he sees you as a believer, and there you are in this this, uh, idol's temple, you're sharing a stake in this place. God looks down and he says, you know, 
you, you need to pick a team. You need to pick a team because by you participating over here makes me wonder what, what team are you really on? Uh, guys, you know that when you got married, you picked a team. You said, this is my team and I'm forsaking all others. That's pretty much how it went. And so if you've picked that team and uh, your wife walks in and uh, there's another woman sitting on your lap, she's very rightfully going to ask, you know, didn't you pick a team? I thought you picked a team. Now, here, here's what you need to know. Having that woman sit on your lap might not make you unmarried. It'll probably make you dead, but it wouldn't. <laughs> in the same way, in the same way, going to an idol's temple wouldn't make you unsaved, but it's making a statement about what team you're really on. That makes sense? So how do you know What's appropriate for a believer and what's not appropriate for a believer? Are there things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do, and how do we navigate through some of those things? Well, again, this is going to be kind of fast-paced, and and as we travel through this, I'm going to give us six questions as a filter, and uh, again, these are not to be legalistic, but just a filter that that you can evaluate what you're doing and where you're going and and, uh, if it's appropriate for, for, for us as believers. So six questions to, discern, to determine if something is right for me. Verse 23, it says, all things are lawful. Now, most of your Bibles have the word lawful, so you want to underline that. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. They were saying in that time, as you read a, a commentary, they'll say that you know, what was going on is the Corinthians were looking on and they're saying, well, you know, I'm not breaking the law. I'm not hurting anybody. So why would it be wrong? It's just, you know, it's, I'm, I'm free to do this if I want to. So you know, and, you know, their issue was I'm, I'm not breaking the law. So we'll start there. We'll start with the first question and we'll just simply ask the question, is it legal? If you want to find if something's appropriate, ask, is it legal? It's a good start. Now, why is that such a good question? Well, you've probably noticed that if you decide to go out drinking and driving, and you get pulled over by a cop, and the cop pulls up to your window and says, I'd like to see your license. I think you've been drinking and driving. Uh, you can't say, I'm free in Christ. You know, that, that just doesn't, <laughs> it just isn't going to fly. So is it legal? That's, that's at least a good start. We're gonna, that's the first question. Now, which, uh, and, you know, some things, some things are legal, but that doesn't mean that they're always helpful. For instance, it's not illegal for you to go home and drink a six-pack of beer every day. It's not illegal for you to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, but it might not be the best thing for you to do. So that leads us to the second question. And I've put that verse there in your outline from another translation, and it says this. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is helpful. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but everything, but not everything is beneficial. I like that. So number two, we want to ask ourselves, is it beneficial? Is this something that's, that's really going to be helpful? And I, I don't think we have to be legalistic about this, but, you know, as, as a way of thinking. Some things are legal, but, you know, not necessarily beneficial. Then verse 24, uh, he says, he says, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So, the next question that we'd want to ask ourselves is simply, is it loving to my neighbor? Some, some things might be beneficial to me, but they might be hurtful to my neighbor. And I never, I never want to do anything that's hurtful to somebody else. When um, it says my neighbor, some of your Bibles will say my, or your neighbor, and others will say to the other. How many of your Bibles say to the other or something like that? Literally, it means the other. It doesn't necessarily mean neighbor. Some, they translate it that way. 
But the New King James translates it like this. It says, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So the idea is believers, as we are missionaries in our culture, we want to do what's best for others. We want to think in terms, is this really something that's helpful for, for other people? Paul would say in Romans, he'd say, determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So I always want to ask myself, is this something that, that's going to be um, loving to somebody else? Is it going to be helpful? Is it going to be a barrier to somebody else? As, uh, because I, I want them to come to know Christ. One, one thing that I, I would just say on this, I think this is a great parenting question. You know, it says, is it loving to my neighbor? I, I like the translation says, is it loving to others? The idea is God calls us to think about how we live our lives and how that affects other people. And, and I think many of us would say that we were raised in environments where one generation never thought through, if I live this way and I parent this way, how is it going to affect the next generation? I think that's a great way for you and I as believers to parent. How is this going to affect this next generation as they grow up and as they go out? Just a great question. Well, verse 25, he gives a general rule here. He says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And when it says in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. For uh, most of your Bibles, the typeset will be different. And uh, that tells you that it's quoting from another part of the Bible. And that's quoting from Psalm 24.1. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So the, the general rule here, Paul says in verse 25, he says, eat anything that's sold in the market without asking questions. So the general rule is just as you go somewhere, you would just eat, eat, eat it. Don't, don't ask where, where it came from. Now, the reason that Paul says that is in that time period, the local temples would have more sacrifices come in that they could, that they could use. And so they you know, put them in the, the, uh, the restaurant, but then they have more than they could use there. So they would just simply sell it to the local butcher shop. So Paul says, as you're going to the local butcher shop, don't walk up to the local butcher and say, I see this is on sale. Did this come from Aphrodite's temple? Because I'm not buying anything that comes from Aphrodite's temple. I'm, there's just no way. I'm not going to support that. So, so Paul says, just don't even ask that. How many of you find that surprising? Three. Good, good. We'll take it. Now, here, here's why. And, and, and I'll show you why. But, but first of all, if it was wrong to eat it, and I put this there in your outline, if it was wrong to eat it, God would tell us to ask, where did it come from? But he says, don't, don't even ask. Just, just take it and, and just eat it. And then, then it's as if he says, he says, and here, here's why I want you to not ask. I want you to not ask because he says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. It's as if God says, look, you go to the, you're going out there and they're serving this, this meat. It's a good price. You're buying it. Don't, don't ask. Don't, don't, don't get in the whole thing. Where did this come from? That sort of thing. He says, they think that because somebody brought it to Aphrodite's temple, that it really belongs to Aphrodite. And because they've blessed it, that that somehow has some hex on it or something like that. And it's now owned by Aphrodite. God would say, listen, what they don't know is the earth is mine and everything that's in it. So just eat it. It really belongs to me. That's what he's saying. I thought that was more interesting, at least in my office. I, it's, it's. <laughs> then number four, how will non-believers perceive it? How will non-believers perceive it? Verse 27, one of my favorite passages in here. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you, now underline that, one of the unbelievers invites you and underline, you want to go, you want to go. 
eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. So how will a non-believer perceive it? You and I are, we exist in a, in a certain culture, and no matter where you go, there, there is a certain culture. And no matter where we find ourselves, we're all called to evangelism. But as Christians, we, we find ourselves, if we're not careful, winding up in, in two, two extremes. Now, I, I grew up in an extreme that said that, you know, you become a Christian, you come out from among them, you don't associate with non-believers because you don't want that influence in your life. And you kind of look down on other people because they have unbelievers who are friends as being less spiritual. So that's one extreme. Then on the other hand, you have believers who go out into their culture and they are so much like their culture that they're no longer an influence in their culture. They're now being influenced by their culture. And so there's those two extremes that we have to watch out, but that we have to watch out for. So I want you to notice two things here. First of all, in verse 27, he says, if one of the unbelievers invites you. So when he says that, it's okay. It's okay to have friends who are unbelievers. That's what he's saying. So if you, you know, if an unbeliever invites you, it's okay to associate with unbelievers. And there's a number of us in, in this church that you live in certain neighborhoods and you've gone up and down the street and you've established friendships and you have lunch and dinner and you've established friendships because you want your neighbors to come to faith in Christ also. And still today, the, the most people come to faith in Christ because of a family member or a friend, a family member or a friend. So it's okay to associate with non-believers. It's not okay to date them. That's another story. We talked about that in chapter seven, but as friendships, that's one thing. So put that out there. Then he says, verse 27, he says, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, which is good. He says, if you want to go, you're free to go. You don't have to go. And sometimes when you find out what's going on, uh, it's best that you don't go. We have in our family certain situations, certain relatives that will invite us to, to come to, to things that they have going on. And we realize based upon what's going on there, we just know that we, we can't go there. I'm, I'm probably the only one who has that situation in my life. Anybody, anybody? Yes, I see that hand in the back. Is there another? So, so, um, the, the, so, so sometimes, you know, it's just best that you don't. So, but if you do go and you sit down to eat, don't ask where this food came from. Don't, don't make it an, a deal. Just, you know, just eat it. So in that context, you wouldn't say, did this come from Aphrodite's temple? Well, so you, you're invited to go and you decide to go and you go to a restaurant or you go to your unbelieving friend's house and you're having a meal. And in verse 28, it says, but if anyone, underline that word, anyone says to you, this is meat, sacrificed to idols, underline, do not eat it. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, because you're thinking it's just meat, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I, which I, which I give thanks? So in that context, if you go somewhere and somebody says to you, this meat has been sacrificed to idols. In our context, you sit down and have steak and somebody says, hey, this steak came from Rachel's Steakhouse. Then you don't eat it. And the reason you don't eat it is when somebody makes it a point to tell you where it came from, there's always a reason. So there in that verse, in verse 28, he says, 
If anyone says to you, that anyone, so that anyone, who would that anyone be? Well, the anyone could first of all be the unbelieving host who's invited you to go, and now they tell you. Now, you, you would need it because when unbelievers, um, let's see if I can get this right, they tell you for a reason. Unbelievers, you might not have noticed, noticed this, but unbelievers have preconceived ideas as to what it means to be a Christian and what it means to not be a Christian. So anytime you violate one of their preconceived ideas, they're very quick to tell you, you call yourself a Christian. Am I the only one who's ever heard this? And, and then um, you do something or they'll say, that's not very Christian. They have a preconceived idea of what it means. So Paul would say, so in that case, don't offend them, their preconceived notion of what that means. So you, know, you don't want to violate that. So that's who anyone could be. On the other hand, anyone could be a fellow believer who's gone with you who would be a weaker believer. So you go and you get invited by the same unbelieving host and they invite you as a believer and they also invite another believer, but this is a weaker believer. Weaker believer, not critical believer. Some people are just critical believers. They have this huge list of do's and don'ts and if you don't keep their list, then you're less spiritual. They're called legal lists. And uh, the reason they're called legalists is they have a legal list. And so when you violate that list, you know, you're not spiritual. So, but you have weaker, weaker believers, you know, those who are, 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 are really bothered by, by certain things. So it could be that you go to the unbelieving host and um, all of a sudden they realize that this comes from Aphrodite's temple. And the unbelief or the weaker believer says, this comes from Aphrodite's, you know, Aphrodite's temple. In that case, you don't want to eat that. So what's, what's interesting about that is if you don't eat it, you're going to offend the host. If you do eat it, you're going to offend the weaker believer. So what Paul is saying here, and I want you to write this down, in that, situa- in that situation as Paul says, don't eat it, Paul says it's better to offend the unbelieving host than the weak believer who is also a guest. One of the themes that you find throughout the New Testament, which is very contrary to, I think, much of what we find in the, in the church world, uh, there's a theme. I'm going to show you one verse. We've shown, shown this here, but another verse. I could show you five or six, but uh, from Galatians, Paul says to the Galatian church, he says, so then... While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And then you notice he says, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So, so the idea is you always put the needs of the believer above the needs of the non-believer, which is reversed a lot in our church world. And uh, so Paul says, no, it's just the opposite. So how would that work out for us? Well, let's say you're at a dinner party and um, the unbelieving host comes out and he has a bottle of wine. And uh, he begins to pour into the cup and you're there and you're with somebody and you have freedom to drink it. But the, your, the friend who, come, who came with you, they're, they're a little bothered by things like that. And so they start to think, oh no, you know, you hear them, that's real wine. It has real alcohol in it, you know. And you're thinking, well, I, I hope so. That's kind of the idea of wine, you know. <laughs> so what do you do? If you, if, you, if you don't drink it, you're going to offend the host but if you do drink it, you're going to offend the weaker believer. So what do you do? Well, you don't offend the weaker believer. And, and so that's what Paul is saying. So far, so good? We're going to move on. Verse 31. 
He says, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So fifth question would be, can I thank God for this? If you can thank God for it, great. And then number six, write this down and we'll unpack it. Am I being culturally sensitive? Am I being culturally sensitive? Verse 32 and 33, I want to point out three different cultures. Give no offense either to Jews, that's one, or to Greeks, second, or to the church of God, which would be the third. You know, when you come to church, it's kind of like a a subculture. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. So, so you don't want to make things a barrier that you, you don't need to make a barrier. You know, and when he talks about the Jews, they had a certain type of culture. So when Paul was around them, he didn't make things an issue. He was around the Greeks, he didn't make things an issue. Here's how this worked out in my life. It was back in 2004, I had the opportunity to go to China to get my daughter Hannah. And uh, we flew into Beijing, which if, if you're familiar with China, Beijing is kind of like in this century. And then we got on a plane from there and we flew down to a town called Nanchang. Now, Nanchang, uh, the, the people are, um, the, the, the life that we live is kind of new to them, you might say. So it's a very, very large city, 8 million people. Most of them have never seen a non-Chinese person, at least not back in 2004. So when we were there, the, the host, the, the people who hosted us wanted us to experience a little bit of their culture. So one of the things that they did is they, they let us encounter what would be called Chinese hip-hop. Do you know what hip-hop is? Now, Chinese hip-hop, at least back in 2004, was like hip-hop music if it was written in like the 1950s. Like if Buddy Holly spoke Chinese and did hip-hop. That's kind of the, the idea. So, you know, we listen and, and that's their culture and I wanted to be very gracious. So I was like, you know, okay, that's, that's kind of a... Cool thing, it's not my particular style, but you know, okay. And uh, then they, they want us to experience their, their Asian music, the Chinese music. So they took us to a concert and they told us that we're going to hear a concert for the next two hours. These instruments are a thousand years old. And so, you know, we, we listened to the, to the music. It was a thousand years old. Now in Nanchung at this point, um, they had not embraced the idea of air conditioning. So this was June we're listening to a two-hour concert on instruments that we're told are 2,000 years old, and uh, we're just pouring sweat out, and there's no, no ventilation. And which is, you know, for Americans, that's, that's very, very awkward, but there was, is very accepted. But, you know, you want to be culturally acceptable, so, so you do that. You know, it's not a, not a big deal. You just kind of endure that. Also, unlike Beijing, when you got down to Nanchung, one of the things that you find, and this was kind of widespread 10, 12 years ago when I was there, is that brushing teeth was, was, was not something that had caught on. So literally, when you have a conversation with somebody, you're like leaning back. I came back, I had no eyebrows at all. But, but you know, you want to be kind, and that's, you know, it's culture. We do things a little bit different. We take, you know, bad breath a little more seriously than they do. But, you know, so you, you want to be culturally sensitive. And then we went to a restaurant. And in this restaurant, I kid you not, went to this restaurant, they took a fish, and they ground the fish up. They didn't clean it. They didn't descale it. None of that. They ground the fish up. Now, we've all been in places where you have the restaurant and you have the fish that's looking at you. I'm not talking about that. They took the fish and they ground it up and they turned it into like little clumps, okay? So then they like fried it like this and then you eat it. 
And as you're eating it, not all the bones are completely ground up. So in America, you'd be calling the health department. But here, you know, so you're like swallowing, going, I'm going to die. <laughs> so, but you want to be culturally sensitive, so, so you eat it. I'm not going to make that an issue. It was fine. I, I'm one of those people who can eat just about anything. But that was pushing the, the, the limits. And, and then we went to this place, and um, they, they wanted us to experience their wine. Now, the, where we were... They had this bottle of wine, a large bottle of wine, and there was a dead snake in it, which was decomposing. And so they gave everybody little cups of wine, little, little sips, and they said, would you try it? So, so I'm like, okay. So I tried it, and, and they're like, huh? Like, it's, it's good? It's like, and you know, you want to be polite? So it's like, yes, it, it, it tastes very, you know, it has an interesting taste, a lot like a very sour vinegar with a, a hint of decomposing snake. <laughs> That's how I describe it. It was nasty <laughs> to say but I don't care, you know, that's their thing, that's what they want to do, and so I'm, I'm not going to make that a barrier. I'm not going to make that a barrier. And we got on the bus, and they took us to a Buddhist temple. And when we came to the Buddhist temple, our host came to us and said, now we have the Buddhist monk, and he's going to come out, and Buddha's going to bless your baby. Like, whoa, that, that's, now, we're, now we're going into a whole new, new era. Area. So I was surprised at how many professing Christians said, okay, I'll have my baby blessed by Buddha. So they walk in. There's an altar there. You have the incense. You take the incense. You pay the, the whatever it is. And the Buddhist monk comes out and waves some stuff and says some things. So they come to me and say, are you, you going to you know, come, come have, have baby blessed? Have baby blessed? I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. And they, they were you know, very insistent. And then the Buddhist monk comes out, come, we Buddha bless. So give good luck. And I, you know, I said something, I don't know, some culturally insensitive, like, you know, you know, if Buddha was so great, then you'd be coming to America to adopt babies and bring them back to China to give them a better life. My, my communication style has improved since then. <laughs> but, but, see, that's the point. That's the point. The culture's one thing, but I'll never do anything that gives another god a nod. And that's, as Christians, that's what Paul's calling us to do. The culture, don't let that be an issue. But you don't do anything that gives another God a nod, even if it offends. That's why he began in verse 14 by saying, flee idolatry, flee idolatry. Does that make sense? Good. Okay, we're going to wrap that up next week. Again, this is a little bit lighter. Next week, we're going to talk about women in church. I'm sure that'll be light also. <laughs> and... Uh, Maybe TJ will take that. No. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. We'll see you next week. God, thank you so much for this congregation and for their, their grace and their love for you, their hunger for your word. We invite you, God, to take us out of here today and help us to represent you in this culture. May we be a light shining in what can be a very dark place. Use us greatly. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.